Good morning, Christ Central. My name is Angel Rutledge, and I'm a member of the, commun or of, uh, the community group in Plaza Midwood. And if you are not part of a community group, we would love for you to come check us out or just ask around um, which community groups meet at which times. Today, our reading um, from God's Word comes from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through chapter 4, verse 5, and the New Living Translation. But you, Timothy, certainly know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith, my patience, my love, and my endurance. You know how much persecution and suffering I have endured. You know all about how I was persecuted in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. But the Lord rescued me from all of it. Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil people and imposters will flourish. They will deceive others and will themselves be deceived. But you must remain faithful to the things you've been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom. Preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, Christ Central. So we have been in 2 Timothy for a few weeks now. And uh, if you've been with us for most of this year, you also know that we were in 1 Timothy. So uh, we're coming toward the end of these books that were written by the Apostle Paul to his son in the ministry, Timothy. Timothy, uh, at some points, traveled along with Paul in his missionary journeys. Uh, apprenticed underneath the Apostle Paul. And so at uh, various points throughout that journey, Paul uh, wrote to Timothy to encourage him in his ministry and uh, through Timothy to encourage the people that Timothy was serving. And so hence, we have this word for us today for our own encouragement, uh, especially those of us who are already committed to following Jesus. Now, if you're familiar with these texts, you know that they are part of a group of the New Testament called the Pastoral Epistles. And they're called such because of what I just described. But uh, we can easily look at these scriptures and go, wait, is it just for pastors? Is it not for me? But all of God's word is for all of God's people. Amen? So, so there's, there's something here for us all to take away, something 
here for us all to learn. And I would even uh, suggest, highly suggest, uh, I think scripturally speaking, that there is something here even for those of us who have not yet committed to walking with Christ. And so if that's you, if you've been curious about the Christian faith, and you are, um, you're here this morning, or you're listening in online, and you're hearing about this, this text, you've just heard this text has been read, I suggest that you, know, that you approach it, I would invite you to approach it, it's sort of like, uh, sort of like an informational session, right? You're gaining some things. You're, gonna, you're listening in on an in-house conversation, a family conversation, as it were, uh, where a pastor, a bishop, is speaking to uh, a leader with, among the people of God for the benefit of the people of God. And what are some of the priorities that come out of this letter? What are the things that begin, uh, that are on the heart of this bishop who's been called by the Lord to care for the flock. What, what are the definitions that, the, that God's people need to take to heart that come from this apostle? So if you're curious about the Christian faith, um, there is much to learn also from the text this morning. Now, one of the things that you've probably already taken away from hearing this text this morning is that Paul cares a lot about the Bible. Okay, he cares a lot about the Bible. You know, preach the word, he says to Timothy, right? Uh, all scripture is God-breathed. And, and this is a text that has been used in um, seminary classes, Sunday school class, been preached in many pulpits, the inspiration of scripture, the trustworthiness of the Bible. Um, also, charges have been made from this text to pastors as they have been ordained for the ministry. And uh, my burden this morning is to help us all to somewhat uh, begin to care even more for the Bible, maybe even just as much as Paul does. I want to make a case for that, and I'd like to make that case starting with uh, one of my favorite people in history, fictional history, that is, Luke Skywalker. Okay, so hang in there. All right, so <laughs> here it is. All right, so you, you, know, you know the story of Star Wars. If you kind of watch some of the movies, if you haven't, you know, it's fine. Um, you know, you can make up for it this week or something, but... Um, but so, so Luke, Luke was, as those of you know, he was a farm boy, right? He lived on the planet of Tatooine, and he lived a very simple life. And like many teenagers, uh, he believed that he was destined for something bigger. Right? There was something stirring within him. He, he wanted to get out from just uh, working the farm with his, with his aunt and his uncle. And then his life was instantly changed when these two droids showed up, C-3PO and R2-D2, right? And so then they bring him this message from a princess who is in distress. And he's like, oh boy, you're right, this is my chance. You know, I can, I can finally, you know, I found an adventure, something that I can give my life towards, something that will give me meaning. But then, with the, with the visit of, of Obi-Wan, who comes into this, he finds out something uh, e even more exciting, that he himself might actually be destined to be a Jedi. Wow, right? So his mind is blown. And it turns out that his destiny is less about what he can do with his life than it is about who he can become. Right? Now, keep that in mind. His, his destiny is less about what he can do and more about who he can become. And so he apprentices with Obi-Wan, and uh, he faces risks, right? He gets, they go to the Death Star, and they finally get, they find out about this, right? Um, and they try to rescue the princess, and, uh, oh, I'm sorry, they won a battleship when that happened. So, you know, and he, he faces, uh, you know, risk and, and suffering. 
But then, right, he finally joins the rebel uh, army. They go back, destroy the Death Star. Uh, you know, he hears from Obi-Wan, use the Force, right? And he, and he does, the, does the, that fatal shot, right? The, dark, the Death Star is destroyed, but his training is not over, right? He's, he's got to now go on and apprentice underneath Yoda, okay? So then he spends time doing that. And Yoda tells Luke that in order to complete your training, you've got to face some of the deepest fears in your heart. You're going to have to go through some things, Luke, right, um, yeah, in order to complete your training. You've got to face the evil Darth Vader. And Yoda knows it entirely. He already knows a little secret. And then, they're like, right, the big secret finally comes out when Vader reveals to Luke that he is, in fact, his father, right? And he says that, you know, his real destiny... What's his real destiny, right? This is what Darth Vader, now he begins to speak to him. There's this other voice now that begins speaking to Luke and telling him that your destiny, right, is to join me, join the dark side, and together we will rule the galaxy, right? And, and so, the, so now Luke, who's he going to believe? Is he going to believe the, the, the voices that told him that you are destined to be a Jedi? Or is he going to believe this voice, this young man who spent his whole life without his father, finally meets him face to face, and he has this choice to make. Will I believe my dad, or am I going to believe this other voice? And by the time you get to the third movie, Luke has faced all kinds of persecutions. Right? He's lost his friend. He's been captured and all that kind of stuff. He goes through many trials and tribulations head on, and eventually, eventually, he defeats the dark side by proxy of his father and finally becomes a Jedi master, right? restoring balance to the galaxy. That's a fascinating story, right? You know, you put all the, that original trilogy, which is still the best trilogy, um, but, you know, you, you, put those, you put those three together, right? It's, just, it's, it's captivating. It draws us in. Man, I want to live an adventurous tale. I want to live something like that, something full of meaning. Well, here's the thing. If you're a Christian, you already are living that tale. Right? You're already doing it. Right? The calling on your life is to be holy. That is your calling. Right? It, is, it is to be holy. Why? Because God is your father. And to eternally, right, to eternally live and love with God in the new creation is your destiny. That is your destiny. That is where you are heading. And like Luke, you're going to need training. And you need, the, you need that voice which, uh, that you need to choose to obey so that you can complete your training and be ready and be prepared for the destiny that God has won for you. Now, again, if you don't identify as a Christian, I would just invite you to listen in as, as we uh, go through this this morning. And again, just kind of take in the information, take this as data, some things to consider as you listen in on a family conversation. But again, my burden this morning is to show believers why we need the Bible. And not just why, why we need the Bible, but why we need the Bible to live. Okay, so those who want to live a godly life, as Paul says, should remain committed to the scriptures and there are a couple of things I just want to point out, which is, which is first that the, the scriptures are useful for training. Okay, we've already said this. Uh, but, the, but then God also provides teachers for us, right? Teachers for the scriptures. And then he, uh, God also is at work, 
through the scriptures. Okay, so they're useful for training, uh, for a godly life. God provides teachers for his word, and he is also at work through his word. And uh, in order to really see why these scriptures, what we have before us, are useful, we need to be able to define what a godly life is. If we desire a godly life, what is it exactly that Paul wants us to desire? Well, okay, so another way of saying godly life would be godliness, right? It's another word that you could use. Essentially, it's this, is to live a life that is pleasing to God, both in how we respond to him and how we love one another. Right, I'll say that again. Godliness is essentially to live a life that's pleasing to God, both in how we respond to him and how we treat or love one another. That's godliness, right? It is to live a life that reflects the very character of Jesus, which is the essence of righteousness, right? The, the standard of righteousness is Jesus himself. Like uh, uh, or the author and, and teacher Gordon Smith uh, calls it, um, he calls it this, I love this definition. He says, it is the resolve in love to live under the benevolent authority of Christ. Uh, I like that word, the resolve. That's a, there's responsibility there. There's a decision. Uh, and in, and in, and, but it's in love. And, and the desire there is to, is to live. It, it, not just a one-time decision, but to continue to live under the benevolent authority of Christ. Here's one thing. So when we think about the godly life, or uh, becoming wise for salvation, it is easy to just think of what theologians call justification. A lot of you in here already know a definition of that, but basically, right, it is the work of God, what he does, right, to, to make us righteous through the work of Jesus Christ, right? So, you know, we, we are, how is it that I can, I can wake up each day and go, I deserve to be a child of God? Well, it's not because I've justified myself, but God justifies me through Jesus, right? So uh, he says you have a right to be called a children, to be called a child of God because of what Jesus has done. So, that, so it's easy to just think about that and go, okay, but that is, that is a one-time deal, right, which we always come back to for our encouragement, and we'll even do that this morning. We've already done it through some of the songs and the prayers. But salvation is even more than that, right? It, it begins there, but as many of you know, that there is a, there's this thing that theologians call sanctification, right? And that's a biblical word. That, uh, it, that is uh, that path that Christians are on to become more and more like Jesus. So, how, so, so what, what Gordon Smith in the scriptures are talking about here is receiving training for sanctification, Right? becoming wise for salvation. It's talking about uh, a godly life, the character of Jesus, taking that on to ourselves, being conformed to his righteousness. Now, these different terms, godly life, righteousness, character, they're, they're interesting terms for our times. They can be interpreted in so many different ways. Right? So I, I would say that in Maybe most of you would agree that I think when you think of these terms, like today they tend to be thought of in more naturalistic kind of terms. Let me explain that. Like, so some people see godliness as maybe spiritually driven moral, moral feelings, right? So, um, you know, I feel like doing 
right by others. I feel like avoiding what is wrong in society. And it's kind of spiritually driven. I mean, it just kind of comes from somewhere within my own mind and heart, right? And so uh, some people are driven to live out those feelings because they don't want to be persecuted by society. They don't want to be punished, right? So if you, you know, there's certain things that if you do, people are going to look down on you, right? They're not going to be, not going to include you. And so it's motivation to sort of live a moral life. Uh, and then for others, they want to live out those feelings because they feel um, personally rewarding to you. It feels good to be able to serve at the soup kitchen or, you know, take 10% uh, of your wealth and give it away or, um, you know, to uh, let, let somebody else have a seat, right, on the bus rather than you or to, to let somebody else get in while, you, while you're driving on 277, you know, like you kind of, do I really want to let this person in? You know, you're just kind of like, all right, yeah, I'll let them do it. And you kind of feel good about it, right? So, um, this is just sort of what, what motivates people. There's this social reward or even a personal reward tied to these moral feelings. And that is uh, both of these reasons, however, are self-focused rather than God-focused, right? They're, they're not God-focused. And that's what I mean by naturalistic. It's as if God doesn't exist. He's not even a part of the equation. You know, but, but still, I mean, thank God, right, that there are still people who are committed to decency and order, right? I mean, it's just, um, you know, we don't want folk just running around doing all kinds of stuff, you know, just because they don't worship Jesus. I mean, it's, that's a good thing. But I'm just saying, when we're talking about training for the godly life, we're talking about something entirely different from just a naturalistic moral life, all right? It's entirely different, right? And so if we're taking the biblical view of the world, then we assume that God exists and that God is among us and that his existence and his work among us has consequences for how we live our lives. Right? And so uh, we need God's word then. We need it. It is useful for training in righteousness if God is alive, if God exists, and if God is among us. Verses of 14 and 15 say this, and this is with regard now to how God provides good teachers for us. He says, uh, you know, Paul says to Timothy, but you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. And then in chapter 4, verse 1, uh, Paul goes on. He, he keeps on, he keeps talking more about these teachers uh, and how being, a, being a, one of these teachers is a good thing. He says, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom. Preach the word of God. Be prepared, uh, whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching, for a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. There's something to see here for our encouragement, for an encouragement of those who desire to live a godly life. God actually trains up teachers 
who are conscientious and committed. That's a, it's a gift to God's people, right? He, he said, again, he said, he said, I charge you, right, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who would judge the living and the dead and in, in view of his appearing in his, his kingdom. These are teachers who know that one day, right, that they'll have to give an account to God for what they taught. Right? I mean, it's a, right, James even warns us. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be held to greater strictness. Right? And, then, and, then, and these teachers not only have to give an account for what they teach, but also how. Right? Because the word tells us, as Paul says it here to Timothy, he says that when you teach, do so with great patience right? and careful instruction. But so how many have had teachers at school or even at home that have not been patient with you. <laughs> and it, it, what, what does it do to your heart? Didn't you wish that those teachers or those guardians had, been, had exercised a little bit more patience with you? Not just patience, but great patience. Training in godliness. It takes time. This is what these good teachers need to remember. That training in the godly life takes time. Because we need to remember this question. When does the training actually stop? When is it over? Is it over next week? Right? <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's, it's not over to heaven. Right? If, if you were hoping that you kind of get through and become a Jedi master by next week and all that kind of stuff, sorry to disappoint you, it's not happening. Right? The training keeps going all the way until heaven. That's when the training stops. Good teachers of the word remember this. And so they are patient with their disciples. Uh, the word is, as Jesus taught us, it is like a seed which goes into the ground and it takes root. And it requires tending. Right? The ground has to be tilled and it, re it requires patience and care. It requires rain. you got to wait for the proper season for some, certain things to come out for, in order for fruit to be born. While believers are rescued from the penalty and the power of sin, its presence is also still there. So believers' lives, y'all know this. You've been walking with Jesus, you know our lives are messy. We still got sin. We're still wrestling with it, right? Right? It just, we don't have to be overcome by it. It doesn't have to master us, but we still have to do battle. It's not easy, right? And so sometimes we get things get messy. These teachers have to remember this, right? We've, we've also got, as we already talked about, you already heard with some of the choices for uh, the book club, for the women's ministry and such, but like we've got pain and we've got trauma that needs tending, that needs healing. These things kind of complicate the process of spiritual growth, our sanctification. And so we need great patience. We need good care. Good teachers recognize this, and they act accordingly. And these are the kind of teachers that God has provided for us. Right? And you, you can't rush the things that make us wise for salvation. You can't bully God's people into becoming godly nor, nor can you leave them to just figure it out, right? It's just, it's, both extremes are not good for us, right? So um, teachers who hold to the truth of the scriptures 
and impart it to others with patience and care, regardless of its popularity, are trustworthy voices that God has set aside for your benefit. Listen well to them. Let them help you as you stay in the scriptures. And then, and then what we should also see from this text is this is not just pastors and theologians and missionaries that God has given to us, right? But any mature believer, one who has gone through the fire, one who has already been tested and knows what it's like to lean on Jesus in the midst of suffering, one who knows what it's like to barely have enough faith in the to know that it was God who rescued me and not, not me. I didn't do it myself, right? They've learned how to endure through challenges and trials and all kinds of things and have endured for the sake of the Lord and by the power of the Lord. And they can testify to God's rescuing grace and mercy. And like, uh, like, like Timothy, some of you have had, like Paul says, hey, you received the scriptures in childhood. You remember those who taught you. And specifically for Timothy, it was his grandmother and his mom, right? And some of you have some of these people in your lives. Some of you have been prayed over week after week by your grandmother. Some of you have a believing uncle who has made you proud to know him. Right? These are the different people that we ought to be able to count on, to look to. Some of you have stories of mentors who sought you out at your workplace, Right, right there on the job and, or within your industry, and then you discovered that they were a profoundly Christian person, and they helped you through a season of your life. This is God's gift to you so that you may continue to grow as you pursue to live a godly life. So God is at work as he gives us teachers that we can count on, those who are professional maybe and those who are not professional Christian teachers. And, uh, but here's the other thing. And it, this, is, this is really what has just gripped me as I look through this. God himself, we can take this for granted, God himself is at work through his word. God himself is at work through his word. The scriptures tell us that he is the author of them, right? He's the author of the scriptures. Again, what does Paul say? He says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. See, God doesn't just bless the teaching of the word, but they find their very origin in God himself. He, he doesn't just go, oh, other people made this and I like it. Let me just go ahead and use that to help my people. No, God authored the scriptures himself. They find their very origin in him. That means that the scriptures have a divine active authority, a voice that can bring about salvation in your life and mine. Right? The, the Bible is living and active, right, as it, as it says. So, uh, and, uh, and apparently this was such a profound idea during the time of Paul that he had to come up with a new term just to describe this, right? Theonoustos, which, which means God breathed, right? It, we don't really find that word in many other texts during that time period. So Paul had to come up with something. Now, I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail about, you know, how God actually brought about uh, or inspired, right? We get our word inspiration from this as well, uh, inspired the scriptures. I mean, I've already gotten pretty deep into some it's already kind of feeling a little teachy already. We've got a little Sunday school thing going here. But, um, but 
It is enough to say that God's creative energy was at work through human authors, okay? So when, when Paul is saying, God breathed his, his creative energy, his breath, was at work through human authors, right? So we can, we can say that at his point, right? God, think about this, though. God's, the creative energy of God in the scriptures. And then that's, that's amazing. I mean, this, this is a bold claim for the Bible to make about itself. That, it, that, that it, 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 is, it is shaped and it has come about through the creative energy of God, his very breath. Right? And, but there it is. Right? You can't play with it. You can't erase it. You can't wish it away to the cornfield. You know, like it's just, it's there. Right? You, you just got to wrestle with it. This is what the Bible says. But there's something else that's going on here, too, that I don't want you to miss. You ready for it? Paul says the scripture is God-breathed. Where else have we seen this talked about in the Bible? Genesis chapter 2, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Here's what God is saying to you and I this morning. You and I exist because of the breath of God. His creative energy is animating us right now. Family, let me get this, get this. Every human being has been divinely authorized to live. Take that in. As you sit here and live and move and have your being today, you have been divinely authorized to do so. This is what God, this is, what God is saying to us. So this is why, and, and so, so then like, so we wonder about, oh, you know, God's judgment and all this kind of stuff. Look, look, this is why human, when humanity decides to forsake his word, when humanity decides to focus on directing itself, when humanity decides to respond or not respond to God in any way that we dang well please, right? When this is why when humanity decides to treat one another as anything more or less than human, we invite God's wrath and his judgment on ourselves because he has divinely authorized for us to be here. God has authorized you to live, not the government, not a bully, not your money, not a love interest, right? Not your heart, not your disordered passions, not an ideology, but it was God. God did it, right? For him, for in him we live and move and have our being, is what Paul proclaimed to us, right? If the, if the breath of heaven is my very life, why not submit then to the voice of the scriptures, which is the source of both? Right? Do you, you see what I'm getting at here, right? To, to give any other voice, Ultimate authority over your divinely authorized life is utter foolishness. But the scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation. Right? When, now, you might be like, okay, okay, but pastor, you know, I've tried to read the Bible in a whole year, but I still feel like it hasn't really made a difference in my life. You know, we're, we're, what's going on? You know, I've, I've learned from teachers of the word. I've listened to the podcasts. I've been on the websites. I've read the blogs. I've even gone to seminary. I've taken a couple of classes, Pastor. You know, I've leaned on the teachers of the word for a time, but even some of them have failed me. Or, Pastor, I've earnestly tried to apply what I've learned from the Bible, but my marriage still failed. Right? My kids still broke my heart. My boss still 
uh, uh, made my life hard. My, my friends still betrayed me. My government still broke its promises. My own soul still took one more hit from that addiction. Pastor, what am I to do? Sisters and brothers, I know it can feel so wrong sometimes to, to keep trusting God's word when our world doesn't feel right. You just want to put it on the side to leave the Bible there and let it collect dust. To hide that app, you know, put it in the app library. It's just not even on the front page anymore. Just, just put it on the side until it starts bringing some results into your life. And then there's that, that shame and the, the guilt that you feel also the, from, from not reading it and from not applying it to your heart. How in the world are we supposed to realize our destiny? But Paul says the scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through what? Through faith in Christ Jesus. And he says, he, he addresses uh, all that who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. Right? Uh, so, sisters and brothers, God, God breathed into you again, get this, when you receive the Holy Spirit. Who converted your heart and spiritually united you to Jesus? Hey, that that is, that is from that is, he is the one from whom you derive your hope and your power and your strength and the ability to keep going. If you are united to Christ, you have every reason to keep enduring under the Word of God, even when your teachers fail, even when you can't get over the, the things that seem that appear to have taken mastery over your life, you are still united to your hero, your savior, your redeemer, your king, your deliverer. It is Jesus. And so even though you may sometimes fail, Paul said, for our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. Why can I believe that? The scriptures say so. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why can I believe that? The scriptures say so. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Why can I believe that? The scriptures say so. Breath. If, 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 if we are children, the Bible says, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Why can I believe that? Because the scriptures say so. Breath of heaven. Hold me together, be forever near me, breath of heaven. Breath of heaven, lighten my darkness, pour over me your holiness, for you are holy, breath of heaven. Jesus lived a perfectly godly life. He held on to the scriptures. Right? Nobody lived a life as perfect as Jesus. Nobody said, and yet he suffered and he lost his breath. What, what, let, me, let me subtract that. Because Jesus said, I laid down my life on my own accord, right? So he didn't lose his breath. He forfeited it, right? He forfeited his breath so that you and I could be made 
holy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so let, let Jesus order your life then. Let him order your life as you submit yourself to the teaching and the preaching and the reading of his word. Let him reorder your passions. Let him change you. Let him make you glorious. Let him give you the identity that you have always longed for but could never imagine for yourself. Stay near to his word because you want to stay near to him. That is your destiny. It is yours. It's yours, church, as we continue to lean on Jesus through his word. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, breathe on us. Send your Holy Spirit to fill every heart in this room. We need to be refreshed by your glory. We need to be captured by the beauty of your incomparable love and grace. God, breathe on us. Thank you for authorizing us to even be alive today. God, you do not create trash. You do not leave aside those whom you love. So, Lord, would you help us to hang on to your word today as we, as we leave at the altar of your grace our wounds and our doubts, our struggles, our pain, our lack of resolve, and our commitment of resolve. Lord, change us. Change us that we can have a foretaste of glory divine. Change us so that you get the glory and the praise in our messy lives. That we, Lord, that we would be a living testimony of your, your might and your power in your resolve, your commitment, to save a broken world. We thank you, O Lord, for this moment that we have to be able to sit together, to actually be in your presence, to learn from you. Reshape us, mold us, revive us. Not because we are good, but because you are good. And you have declared us good because of your great mercy. In the name of Jesus, who is our portion, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.